0: Welcome, you're listening to A Serif Podcast, a go-to resource for investors, entrepreneurs, family officers, and fund managers looking to learn about exciting investment opportunities around the world. Hello and welcome, this is Chris speaking. I recently recorded a telephone conversation that I had with Harris Kapperman. Harris is the founder and president of Pretorian Capital, a hedge fund based out of Miami, and quite interestingly, he's also the CEO and founder of Mongolia Growth Group by Real Estate investment company based in Mongolia. I wanted to get a better understanding of what is taking place on the ground in Mongolia. Harris is one of our key networks and sources on the ground for us. And I think that um, it could be useful for readers and subscribers to get an understanding from Harris around what is taking place. Give me the heads up on what's going on there because we've had roughly three years of, you know, complete mismanagement on a number of fronts. FDI's collapsed, currencies taken a being taken out to the woodshed um, but look this is the way frontier markets work right um, they're extremely volatile you know stuff can go up by hundreds of percentage points in almost overnight and down again so trying to trying to see where we're at in that particular cycle is is kind of important um, this latest statement coming out from the from the PM and the resolution around are you Looks to be real this time. Is that what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, I believe uh, the new prime minister, and it's important to note that uh, the former prime minister uh, left the scene last uh, at the end of last year. The new prime minister, he's uh, U.S. educated. I think he gets it. I know what he's trying to accomplish. I think uh, his heart's in it. And he's trying to do the right things, and you know, this statement is really his statement of what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, uh, the question really is, uh, will the other members of parliament let him accomplish it? Uh, Mongolia has just gone from being the fastest growing economy in the world to uh, one where uh, our data seems to indicate that the economy is now contracting. Uh, and that's really because of some horrible mistakes made by the government. And uh, it's very easy to fix those problems because everyone knows what the problems are. Uh, they took uh, foreign direct investment from $5 billion a year to $500 million a year and uh if you fix the foreign uh investment issue, you fix all the other problems and it seems to be that uh they're now starting to recognize the issue, which is the first step to fixing the issue and The speech by the Prime minister uh, Saken Billig seems to point in the right direction that they're intent on fixing the
0: problem so they're going to solve o t that seems to be you know um what's been discussed, and it looks like all of the parties are pretty keen on actually doing that now. Um, that in itself is is really just the, uh, I think, the pivotal point. If they solve OOT, um then all of the, the deal flow that comes out of the back of that is going to be, you know, um, fairly immense. I mean, we know of um, a number of companies that we're involved with over there that are waiting on contracts, for example, that are only going to be consummated. Um, should the OT project go ahead? So, there's there's billions of dollars of, in financing that is sitting on the sidelines that just won't go ahead until that gets resolved. Um, Correct. And I can see that you, you know, that, and that's institutional level financing. Um, I think that we may have a little bit of a reticence to coming straight back into the market. If I think about a lot of the hedge funds that we're running around. In sort of 2009, 10, even early, early 11, um, I'm not sure how fast they're going to come back into the market. Time will tell, but I do think they'll come back if they resolve a lot of these issues. And well, now, think- it's a pretty much free, so from a risk reward perspective, um, what are your feelings? I mean, looks like the risk is is lower than it has been, um, but then. You know, most of the assets in the country are a commodity base, so there's a couple of problems here. One is that well, we're in a commodity down cycle, the other, of course, is that if you're if you're investing into assets that don't produce revenue, um, then you've always got that timeline until death. If you're if you're if you're running opex on a on a particular project, you know to keep it alive, there's there's a cost to doing that, and you've got to try and figure out what that cost is, how long you can stay alive and does, you know, does the market turn within that time frame for you to make a multiple on your, on your dollar?
1: Well, how I see it really is that uh, you had a lot of investors, uh, as you said, uh, they went to the fastest growing economy in the world and uh, what I've learned about investors is they have a short memory. Uh, if it's the fastest growing economy in the world and it's a world that doesn't have much growth, they're going to go chasing back in there. Um, clearly, they need to see uh, at least a couple quarters, maybe a year or two of uh, the government doing the right thing, uh, some stability. But I, I think uh, they will come back, and they'll come back uh, fast. Remember, it's a 10 billion U.S. economy. It doesn't take a whole lot of investment to change the whole dynamics of the country. Uh, what we saw last time is that. Uh, it was a much smaller economy and uh, Oya Tolgoi alone was about seven billion dollars and that grew the whole economy up, uh, many multiples. Um, you know, I was looking just uh, as we're building a, a slide deck for our own company, MGG, which we'll talk about later, uh, but we were looking at what happened the last time Oya Tolgoi got announced and I think a, a great way to think about this conceptually is that uh, Parliament on July 16, 2009 they approved uh, the uh, government to finalize an Oyu investment agreement. They basically said to uh, the government, uh, "You now have permission; go finalize an agreement." In the next 19 months, uh, the Mongolian stock exchange top 20, which is the largest, most liquid stocks in the Mongolian stock exchange, uh, they went up uh, sixfold. It's a six-bagger in 19 months. And, that's what happens when capital comes in chasing uh, an asset class that's not all that liquid. But it's also what happens when uh, capital goes into an economy that goes from not growing too quickly to the fastest growing in the country, in the world. And I think you'll see a similar thing happen if they can uh, sort out their problems this time. You'll see a whole lot of capital show up. you see asset prices go crazy. And <clears throat> um, it'll be uh, beneficial to everyone in Mongolia and everyone
0: who's invested in Mongolia. Again, yeah, no, I remember the time well um that that was a lot of fun, so how much is, taking a step back let 's look at the sort of um global macro so Mongolia' is a commodity country it's it's a partner essentially to China, Russia, and India, so in that respect it 's placed incredibly well um China being the predominant player in that space. How much of the slowdown do you think we could attribute to commodity prices, potential oversupply um and, you know, how, how do you see that flowing through into Mongolia? I mean, I think certainly the, the, the predominance of the problem has been a political issue, um, which is fed through into the economic issue, um, far less so than commodity prices, but that is a component. So I'm, I'm curious to get your view on what, what that component looks like.
1: Sure. Well, when you think of Mongolia, uh, people like to talk about uh, commodities and mining just because it's the big, big numbers. But in the end, uh, mining isn't uh, you know, that big a piece of the economy. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into the economy. I think mining is roughly 30%. You have agriculture, you have uh, consumer sector, you have services, you have tourism. People forget that there's more to the economy than just mining. Uh, the price of uh, coal, copper, iron ore, they've dropped in the last few years, and that's obviously hurt uh, Mongolia, but really the the difficulty has been that the FDI has been shut off, and there's no new net investment. Uh, new investment is what creates uh, jobs and high-paying jobs that grows your economy. Uh, and I think that's what everyone's watching, not the price of copper or uh, coal right now. In the end, um, as long as the mine is operating and producing uh, the commodity, it's producing jobs and it's putting money into the economy. That's all that really matters to Mongolia in, in terms of uh, the commodity price. The only difficulty is if the price of the commodity goes so low that the mine stops producing. and uh, Most mines in Mongolia are uh, low-cost mines, so they'll continue to produce uh, regardless of what the curve looks like.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the key points that we made um, 2010-ish when we were looking at, at the place whereby they can compete with the likes of Australia um, Way way out compete in Australia because they've got a couple of things. They've got lower cost um, mines, and then they've also got the ability to literally walk across the border, and they don't have to ship the stuff from um, up to Darwin and then Darwin to Indonesia and you know Indonesia to Shanghai, and so the cost <clears throat> the cost of transportation is um, is massively reduced, and then they um, a lot of their mines are um, uh, operating at um, Quite low, quite low cost. So that's that's probably not going to change. Um, you're right. We have got FDI is the is the core thing behind that. Um, I don't really like mining per se because I don't understand it well enough. I'm not going to pretend that I do, and it would take me a long time to go and um, uh, educate myself to the to the point where I'm uh, geologically competent. And I don't have an interest in doing so. Um, this, the, the, this, the other sectors around mining are, are kind of what's a lot more interesting to me, you know, the picks and shovels, so to speak. Um, and real estate, of course, is is you know one of the things that we've discussed many times. So tell me what that looks like right now, the real estate side of things. Um, Mongolia Growth Group in particular. You know, the last I looked, looks like you guys are trading below NAV, um, which is awesome. Awesome for well, maybe not, not for awesome us for you, but um I mean just give me a sense of what that space looks like.
1: So uh the property sector, it's it's really many sectors. Uh people talk about property as this one giant sector, but it's everything from new home construction where there's a horrible oversupply to an office market where there's oversupply to uh, the retail market where there's actually not much new supply and rents have held up very well and that's really where our business has been focused. Um, you know, When you think of our business, it's it's always been based on the idea that over the next 10 or 20 years Uh, The standard of living of the average Mongolian will uh, increase substantially, purchasing power will increase substantially, and eventually you'll see international brands enter the market and the value of our property portfolio will increase quite a lot. Uh, Along the way, of course, we'll collect a decent amount of rent and uh, reward shareholders. So, what we've seen in terms of our own portfolio is a a pretty benign uh, market thus far, despite the fact that the economy is not doing well. And uh, you look at our retail space, we have almost no vacancy. Even uh, in our office space, we have almost no vacancy. And I think that's because of what we've built with MGG, which is the only institutional property platform in the country. So we have a dedicated marketing team, dedicated leasing team. Uh, we do uh, tenant management, I think, better than anyone else, which means that tenants aren't leaving us to uh, go across the street and save a few dollars a, a foot on their rent. Uh, it's just a whole package we offer that uh, other people aren't offering which is really a better uh, experience and product. Uh, so th- th- that's our experience. I could say that across the market uh, office space is probably 30 to 40 percent vacant right now. Retail is probably 10 percent vacant. Uh, there's tens of thousands of empty apartments that have been built that uh, are out of the price range of most people who could afford them. The banks have stopped lending more or less. Uh, you know, actually the banks are probably not in the best financial shape to begin with currently. So it's really a tale of two markets. It's what we're seeing and what we're doing, and uh, what, what the rest of the world's doing. Uh, one of the things we did, I think, that was very smart over the past few years, is we upgraded our tenants. Also, so we tend to be dealing with uh, some of the largest, most professional uh, tenants in Mongolia. These are cell phones, banks, uh, you know, restaurant chains, guys who are responsible, and they do pay the rent, and they're not going bankrupt. And, so we've seen uh, much uh, lower problems with bad debt, delinquency, these are other things that other property people have dealt with. So our overall experience, as I said, is quite uh, decent in Mongolia and you know what we're thinking about is uh, how to take advantage of this uh, drawdown to acquire great assets that are distressed whereas other people, I think, are in much worse shape than we are.
0: And then you don't have a leverage, re- leverage issue as well, right? Um, oh,
1: right. I mean, as of right now, we have over a million of cash and uh, no debt. So it gives us a very uh, conservative balance sheet, which gives us the flexibility to take on some leverage to buy distressed assets. And we were looking at quite a few of these assets right now.
0: Okay. Um, what's the income statement look like? Uh, in what way? The,
1: I mean, our expenses uh, have always been a problem for the company. We always had an expense structure that was just uh, not in keeping with where our revenues were. We had this view that we could outgrow the problem. Uh, and it turned out with what the economy was doing, uh, we couldn't. And I stepped back in as CEO uh, to fix this issue uh, in December of 2014. We've taken a very dramatic uh, cost-cutting initiative. Uh, it's, it's the first round. I think there's a whole lot more uh, to cut on the cost side uh, you know, The company had previously been losing in the hundreds of thousands uh, a month, I guess. And I just said to myself, uh, this isn't sustainable, it has to end, and I've put a stop to it. And you know, I can't give you the exact number now, but uh, we've uh, done a whole lot to reduce the burn. I think we're in a very good financial situation right now, and we've said publicly we tend to add the year uh, cash flow positive, and
0: I don't see anything that changes that view. Yeah, I mean, it's... um. It's always one of those issues, right? You want to be cashed up in that position in order to take advantage of the um, those who are not cashed up and those that are um, liquidating on the back of um, potentially high LVRs. Um, most of the most of the guys in the commercial space um, that are actually buying this stuff or or owning it. <clears throat> What are the banks lending on that at the moment domestically? Because a lot of that stuff is still domestically financed, correct?
1: Well, the banks uh, aren't lending. They've stopped lending. Uh, we know that quite a few of the larger banks are currently shrinking their balance sheet. They're rolling over non-performing debts. And they're not making uh, new loans. Uh, if you can borrow money from a bank in Mongolia, it's going to cost you probably almost 20% in U.S. dollars, uh, a good deal more in Mongolian tugrik um it, it, that's just not available right now in the market it's become a cash economy uh we've seen uh what they call NBFI's which you probably call a one shop in uh, the US and those guys are lending at uh 3 to 5% a month and uh we've seen increasingly that uh, businesses are relying on those to fund their working capital needs uh the country's out of money okay
0: that sounds awesome not really no that's <laughs> it's, not- it's it's, it's well, uh it's- well, what it means is liquidity is dried up. It means that um, the assets that are out there, because you've had, there was a lot of building taking place. So there's going to be a bunch of, you know, probably quite good quality building, builds that are sitting out there. Um, and I'm suspecting that yields and the stuff are, are far better than they were three years ago. What is What, what do the cap rates look like on um, – if you can give me commercial, um, retail. I mean, well, I
1: think cap rates are something of a misnomer. Uh, people always assume that at the bottom of a real estate cycle the cap rates go very high and that's just not really what happens. That that happened in 2007, 8, and 9 in the U.S. because you didn't see a lot of tenant delinquency. What normally happens in one of these cycles is that uh, your vacancy goes up, your rents drop, your expenses stay constant and your net result is that many of these large office towers uh stop making money, they actually start losing money, and your cap rates go zero to negative. And that's why guys that are even, you know, very conservatively leveraged end up still having uh fiscal problems. And so I think it's not right to really talk about cap rates right now. I think it's better to think of uh properties uh using different metrics like replacement costs.
0: Okay, so what about demand?
1: Demand uh, on the office side is dropping rapidly. Uh, retail has stayed very strong. Uh, we just brought a new building online named Tugledore. Uh We fully leased the building up. Uh, it stayed a reasonably high occupancy and I can say that our retail stuff has been uh, relatively uh, uh, strong also. The whole point is that uh, in the property business, you uh, pay a premium for the best locations because the best locations will always be filled. Uh, You might see your uh, rents per meter drop but you're always going to keep the locations filled and uh, we've learned that very well where uh, on on the main streets we have almost no vacancy where if you go to secondary and tertiary streets we've seen
0: uh, quite an increase in vacancy. Fortunately we don't own that sort of property. Okay, so what we're betting on here is a turnaround in FDI which then brings capital back into the banking system, um, gets credit flowing again, and um, potentially a return of the 2008-19 um, experience that we had in Mongolia before. I think that's what's going to
1: happen. If you look at uh, Mongolia since uh, the end of communism, there's been a few very distinct uh, economic cycles. Um, you know, over time the Mongolian economy has been one of the fastest growing economies in the world, even though there's been a few shakeouts along the way and I think this is just one of those shakeouts and if you had bought during the shakeouts you'd be a very happy investor and you know, I think this one's actually going to be a little more severe than the past ones just because there's more debt in the system and the system is uh more complex now, which means that uh you know, it could be upset easily. But uh I I tend to think that uh, what's going to happen with the Oya Tolgoi, the Tolgoy, Tolgoi, uh, some of the other large projects uh, in the pipeline, you only need one of those to go ahead to see the economy go back to double-digit growth. If all of them happen, uh, you're going to see one of the best growing economies in the world, and here's your chance to buy in at distressed prices.
0: Okay. What's, um, <clears throat> what are the opposition parties saying, the political opposition party? There is no opposition currently. Uh, all the main
1: parties have now formed a coalition together because they recognize that there's a problem that has to be solved and it can't be a partisan problem. They have to work together to solve the economic crisis.
0: Okay. And, um, you know, I've I've chatted to a number of people from our networks in the space, almost without exception. They have all are saying that they believe this is – is real, um, and I'm always cognizant of the fact that you have, you know, participation bias, and um, so um, I guess what I'm saying is, when you're in it and you want it to be a certain way, then you look for the the, the reasons that justify that position. So what what's going to stop us from going ahead is throw rocks at that concept because that's where the risk. As far as I can see, it, that's where the largest risk on this whole thing re- resides, is in the government, you know, turning around and and not doing what they just suggested they are going to do. Well, there's there's two ways to look at this. There's a short term and a
1: long term. Uh, the long term view is that uh, there's two trillion dollars in the ground, and there's three million people who are going to share it, and uh, you know, elections every four years. So if this government can't solve the problem. Someone else will get elected to solve the problem. Um, You know, that's a long-term view as to why I think right now is the time to buy. uh, It's because the prime minister just uh, gave a speech where he said basically uh, we've reached a consensus. We're going to untap these or unbottleneck these uh, projects and force them forward. And uh, so far, at least, I believe what he has to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I read the document. We've actually got it loaded on our site. Um,
1: I suggest anyone interested in Mongolia read that document. I think it's a very uh, clearly voiced uh, view of what he wants to accomplish, and you know, much more importantly, uh, I think uh, he, he uh, has the right ideas. Uh, he could lead almost any country with those ideas.
0: Oh no! I mean, I, I read it; it was a complete breath of fresh air. I couldn't believe that he had a politician that was talking like that. Um, <laughs> if we had that in the West, I think um, you know, people would just faint and fall over. Um, <laughs> It was ridiculous, um, you know. The, and the fact of coming out and saying, um, acknowledging, um, you know, asinine things that have taken place in the past was um, was just something that you just don't see. You know, he he literally turned around and said, you know, we have been complete fools. We have completely screwed this up. Um, this is what we've done wrong. Um, and um, and that was his own government, so it was it was refreshing to see that sort of level of transparency and honesty.
1: Um, you know, I think actually, the first step to
0: fix as well, right? I mean, you've got you know less people in in the entire country than you do in an LA suburb, and you can do those sorts of things. Um, you can have that that dialogue with people, where it does act almost like on a village level.
1: Right. I mean. Uh, I think the first step to solving a problem is admitting that you have a problem. And clearly, uh, Sachin Billig's admitted that there's a problem and it's uh, really self-inflicted. And I, I think that's the first step to fixing it. I, I saw uh, two speeches now that he's given in person and you know, I think he definitely understands the issues. The Q&A, he fielded the questions uh, expertly. Um, you know, I just hope he has the political sway to influence uh, the rest of the country to follow through on his vision if they do you know Mongolia will be
0: the fastest growing economy for many decades to come well I need to let you go Harris I need to go Um you okay. so much for for your time and um, we'll chat soon sounds good Appreciated. thank you for listening this podcast has been brought to you by Serif a private global investment syndicate to learn more about Serif visit www.serif.vc that's www.acraph.vc